Welcome to the Surge Strength Podcast, powered by Ritter Sports Performance. This podcast is dedicated to helping swim coaches and swimmers learn how to properly implement dry land and strength training programs that result in moving better, reducing injuries, and swimming faster. Let's join your host, Chris Ritter. Welcome back to the Surge Strength Podcast, everyone. I hope you're doing well. I'm curious, if you listened to the episode I put out last week, I'm pretty sure I had talked about how I realized on the calendar it had been five months since the shutdown and kind of posed the question, how much better did you get? So I'm curious, since the time you listened to last week's episode, hopefully, and this week's, is there anything you actually started that maybe you were putting off, whether it be dry land or something else, or maybe you're keeping up a routine that you've had going for you? So either way, I hope you realize it's okay to start small. And that's one of the things I actually thought about when I was putting together the Surge Strength Dryland Certification. So the overall content is 20 plus hours. And I knew it wouldn't be the best way to do five four-hour videos. That's just ridiculous. No one's gonna sit down and watch a four-hour video on Dryland. I don't know, maybe there's someone out there, but I'm, I'm guessing not. Instead, I cut it up into small bite-sized chunks so it ends up being about 200 videos that are six minutes long and i think sometimes people just don't start especially in dryland because they think oh i need at least an hour or an hour and a half to actually do anything that's worthwhile and really you don't if you have a shoulder issue just doing two or three mobility shoulder exercises that could take five to ten minutes max just doing that every day and starting that's going to be something you're going to see tangible effects it's really more about the long-term consistency. So don't keep putting something off, especially when it comes to dry land and think it's just gonna get better or it'll go away. Just start now with something small. And if you don't know where to go, then check out the resources we have in the Surge Strength Academy, the free Dryland 101 courses, or maybe it's time for you to enroll and become Surge Strength Dryland certified. Speaking of that, for our Inside the Surge Strength Academy, this week's episode is about Uh, The lesson is a hard doesn't equal effective. And I'm going to be talking about how that's a confusing thing sometimes, especially for swim coaches thinking, I just need to make my dryland workout really hard, quote unquote, and that's going to be the best thing. And so I'll kind of talk about that misnomer on the inside, the Surge Strength Academy episode or section of the episode today. And then lastly, on dryland talk, we're joined by Sarah Phillips, who is one of our one of Ritter's Dryland certified coaches. And we've been getting a lot of new teams and individuals onboarded on our surge strength programs that we deliver to athletes and teams worldwide uh, through app. And so we got Sarah to kind of introduce herself a little bit. Maybe some of you aren't familiar with her. Those of you that aren't working with her probably (laughs) didn't even uh, think about her very often, but she is a great resource for us and it takes awesome care of the teams and individuals that come to us. And she's just one of our Dryland certified coaches that we have on the Ritter team. And we're gonna start introducing you to some more of them in the coming weeks as well. So just kind of an introduction conversation with Sarah. We talk about some cool stories. Inside the Surge Strength Academy. Hard doesn't equal effective is the topic I'm gonna to be covering now. I think this is deeply embedded in a lot of the Dryland mentality. And I think it is getting better of late, but I think still swimming is a hard sport in general. And that carries over a lot to dry land too. And somewhere along the line, 
coaches correlated how hard it was with how good it was. And I think we're learning that in the water too, that just because it's really hard doesn't mean it's necessarily the best way. And it's not saying, hey, let's have just easy training and we're gonna get better. But there is a certain point of diminishing returns or when to do this type of work or when to do that. And dry land's no different. I think coaches, especially if they have dry land maybe after a great practice, really hard, they're like, all right, well, let's just do it again. And swimmers don't have an unlimited supply of energy. And so there needs to be a shift in mindset that a hard dry land where the swimmers are just bent over puddles of sweat does not automatically mean it was a successful session. You can't end up chasing fatigue as the goal in dryland. That can't be your marker of success. How tired were they? That's a really silly marker and actually shows that you really don't know anything about your program if all you're basing on is how tired they are. Remember the two goals. Remember your North Star, if you will, about is your dryland program going in the right direction? Are you focusing on athleticism and strength and developing those qualities? Yes, there are gonna be some times where the kids are exhausted from the dryland session. And that's fine, that's not a bad thing. But it's very different of that being an afterthought of, oh, they're really tired after this session, as opposed to the goal is, I'm going to make them really tired. I wanted to talk about a case study here with Colin Jones. He's one of the Olympians I've had the privilege of working with. And leading up until the 2008 Beijing Olympics, I was in charge of Cullen's dry land, weight training, everything on land, if you will. And it was the last meet, it was about a month, month and a half before trials, if I believe right, where it was the last meet he was going to do before the lead up to Olympic trials. And so at this point, if you know anything about swimming right, you wanna be pretty close to your best time leading into Olympic trials when he's gonna be fully shaved and tapered. Now, up until that point, I've been working with him and the rest of the group there on a regular basis. We were in the gym lifting very intensely, three, sometimes four times a week, depending on what group they were in and what their goals were and what we thought was the best plan of action for them. With Cullen at this particular meet, he was slated to swim the, swim the 50 free on one day. And what I did with him is we went into that, it was actually in um, the Charlotte area pool where we trained regularly. So there was a small gym where we were able to do a small workout. And what I did is I shrunk down what we normally did for his weightlifting strength training routine. So typically that's gonna take 45 to 60 minutes. Obviously we're not gonna do that on meet day, especially when he's trying to go a really fast time. So I pared it down and basically got it between 10 to 12 minutes in the weight room doing the exact same weights, reps, but the volume overall. So instead of four or five sets, we could only sneak in two because we only had 10 to 12 minutes. So it's just inevitable that you have to shrink down that volume. I had been working with him long enough that I knew what level of fatigue or where he was at barometer wise. So my goal was, Basically, let's get a little bit of intensity here in the weight room. Let's get a little bit of stimulus here. And then 10 to 20 minutes max before his 50 free, he dove into the water. He ended up doing his lifetime best in-season time right after that workout. 
It's things like that that let me know that dryland really can be the secret sauce in unlocking and generating a swimmer's potential, but you have to know how to handle it. Obviously, the result would have been much different if I had him go through his entire 60-minute workout routine doing heavy weights and then ask him, okay, now go do a 50 free and I hope you have a good time. Of course, that's very different, but as simple and as silly as that sounds, a lot of coaches and swimmers still operate under that assumption that that's it's all or nothing. You either are doing the whole thing or you're doing nothing, or that fatigue is the sign of whether or not the dryland program is effective. With Cullen, for that particular workout, right before his 53, I wanted it to just be just a little bit of sweat glistening on his forehead, and I knew that's exactly where I wanted him. Just slightly out of breath, a couple really great sets in, 10 to 20 minute break to regroup, reset, walk up on the block, have a great swim. He ended up making the 2008 Beijing Olympic team and was on this relay here that pretty much still to this day is one of the most famous relays in Olympic history where Jason Lezak swam that ridiculous anchor leg to come back from behind and they ended up winning gold, breaking a world record and keeping Phelps' streak alive for those eight gold medals that he eventually won. I say all this that even at the elite level, you probably don't have a good enough concept of how hard some of these guys can work and their capacity for work. And just because they have a huge capacity doesn't mean we need to go to the well every time. And there's a temptation to do that in dryland because you could just do more. You could just be more tired. You could just be more intense, especially if you've had an intense swimming session. So you just have to understand going back to the goals that we've been talking about. Athletic, strong. That's what we're going for and not just chasing fatigue. You have to remember too, with fatigue and strength, there's actually an inverse relationship in that the more fatigued you are, the less strength you're going to have to either at that moment or the capacity to develop strength. So actually increasing strength is this fine line of walking, getting enough fatigue that you're getting the stimulus for strength, but not too much fatigue that you go overboard and then aren't able to gain strength. So remember that fatigue is not something we're chasing. It's not a goal. And we've talked about this previously, but in the pool, conditioning should be the main emphasis there. That's where you're looking for it. It's not to say you can never do it on dryland, but primarily in the water is where the conditioning should be done. And on land, that's the best and most appropriate place to try to gain athleticism and strength. Dryland Talk. Sarah, welcome to Dryland Talk. Hi, thanks for having me. I thought it would be cool to bring you on and kind of introduce you to our greater audience that's listening to the podcast because some of our audience already knows you because you're training some of them. You're working with some teams, you're working with coaches, but some of the bigger audience might not know kind of who, who is Sarah and what's she doing with, with Ritter there. So you want to give yourself a quick background introduction? Yeah. So I'm one of the dryland performance coaches here at Ritter and uh, I've been working here for a little over a year. So um, I first got into swimming in college, so I actually learned how to swim the strokes in, while I was in school. I was an exercise science student, so um, you know, I got to take an elective course to teach swimming. 
So they made me really interested in, in actually competing um, because I wasn't competing on a sports team at the time. So I just decided to try out for the, the team. It was just Division three and, um, and swim in college. So uh, during my time as a student, I, I had an internship with my um, teacher who taught triathletes. So she actually started a triathlon team, but she needed uh, one of her students to run the dry land for it. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I started um, working with them and I realized how much of a gap there was between people who swim <laughs> and do endurance. What do you mean, sir? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And people who actually lift weight. So I was like, okay. So I actually really enjoyed it. I felt like I could teach people. Um, who were really educated in, in swimming and sports, but didn't really know anything about weight training. So I kind of got to fill that gap. So um, after so college... let's back up for a second. Let, let's back up for a second. So you get into college, you have no experience in swimming. And did you go right into college wanting to major in exercise science? Like, were you already on that major? Yeah, I had always wanted to be some type of personal trainer, but I always had no idea, like, what I wanted to do, like, within that field of gotcha. fitness. So that's real interesting then that a, you kind of discover swimming when you're in college and then you kind of then already end up in the swimming endurance niche as well before you even graduate. Talk about what that was like of coming to the sport of swimming a little bit later in life than most people and you know what, what kind of grabbed you about the sport? Yeah, so I think coming in and learning how to swim as an adult really um, was a different perspective because most people don't even remember learning how to swim, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, especially competitively. So uh, actually learning how to swim and remembering getting better at it was really encouraging for me um, because I feel like I was like the only one who wasn't burned out at the end of their college <laughs> career. Uh, You're like, I want to keep going. Where's more eligibility? I know, seriously. Um, yeah, so I mean, I... I just thought, you know, it was a really cool experience and my, my teachers and stuff were, were also like competitive swimmers. So that really encouraged me pretty much everybody I looked up to, mm. but you know, I learned a lot about the swimming world because it's a different culture than like, you know, the gymnastics world I grew up in. Yeah. So, so you become proficient at swimming, join the team, you love the sport. And then now talk about how you just left us there of, of you're starting to do dry land and seeing the disconnect there of, okay, you're learning how to do exercise science and applying the principles. And then now you're kind of thrown into what, what the swimming community sometimes thinks <laughs> is, is good drill. And talk about that first experience. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've, so most people who do strength and conditioning, they work with like, uh, like football or baseball or basketball, but I really wasn't into any of those sports. So because I liked swimming, I felt like that was, um, you know, the road I wanted to go down. But um, I had to veer off of the university strength coach path to kind of do that because mm. it's just not as um, not as popular in the strength and conditioning world. So really getting into the dry land side of things where I could kind of connect swimmers to strength and conditioning and fill that niche of dry land because it really wasn't there even five, five or six years ago. Yeah. So what were some of those first experiences like that you remember when you were either a part of that group when you were still in college or shortly thereafter? Yeah. So a lot of the triathletes I worked with were really into like cardio, like they were really into running and swimming and biking. But like, so a lot of them had a lot of injuries and really bad like strength, just even they couldn't even do like a push up. 
so being being able to challenge them in a new way, they really they really enjoy dry land, and then I can make it fun and interactive because um, they're not just constantly swimming laps or running yeah. for hours. So it was a lot of fun. And then you know I went on to work with my university strength and conditioning team and actually built a program for swimming because there wasn't one at the time. Oh wow! And were you still in college at that point, or just shortly graduated? Yeah, yeah. So I was in my senior year and I had to do like 500 hours in the weight room. <laughs> so like literally. So I, um, I was like, hey, can we come up with a program for swimming? Because there's really not one. Like the strength coach left and we pretty much were told to just go in for 45 minutes and foam roll and do some like shoulder stuff. So I was like, can I create this? And they're like, well, no one else is doing it. So sure. So I, I took my little internship in there and, and created a program for the swimmers for the off season as my internship. That's awesome. 500 hours. That's good. Kudos to your program for like having that be a requirement. I'm sure at the time you're probably like, oh my God, 500 hours. But like that really gives you a leg up graduating and already having 500 hours, whether or not you were the main coach, right? Like I, just mm -hmm. the fact that you had that much experience, even if it was just observing, like that's really got to help set you up then. Yeah. I was a little bit of an overachiever with the whole like school thing. Like I took as many classes as possible. So I was out of classes by the time I got to my senior year. So I was just like going all in with the internships. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And so now you've been with Ritter, what, just over two years now? Um, about a year and a half. Oh, that's right. That's right. We're getting up on two years. We're getting up on two years. So what are some of maybe a couple cool experiences that you've had so far with whether it's the, you know, the individuals we're working with or, or the teams and being able to interact with the coaches on those teams? Yeah, so um, on the team side, I got to work with uh, actually a, a small college. And um, when I was working with them, they had a strength and conditioning program kind of similar to my experience. Like it wasn't mm. really, um, it, it's not really a priority for the school. Like they have one, but they don't always like implement everything year round with the swimmers. Mm. So um, they needed somebody to kind of fill that gap again where, you know, I was kind of educating them on what they should be doing and, um, you know, kind of what they could do to supplement some of the times they weren't in the weight room. So that was a different experience. I got to, to work with them and the coach, I mean, he was very impressed. I mean, they had a winning season that year and, um, he, he attributed a lot of the core strength and increase in power to dry land. And I had a lot of fun kind of creating stuff with him. So I would kind of tell him, you know, this is what we need to work on. And he mm. kind of put his own touch on it. And it ended up being a lot of fun. And he said that a lot of the girls who were kind of burnt out started to enjoy practice again. That's really cool. So Sarah, I know we're probably talking to some people that are listening that didn't even realize we did online team programming like that. What walk us through just from your perspective. So a team signs up for that. Obviously the coach is somewhat interested, open to doing dry land. What's it like on your end of meeting the coach, kind of figuring out what they want and then collaborating? Because that's what I think I, we pride ourselves on as companies. Like we're collaborating, right? It's not just, hey, here's your cookie cutter program. Good luck. I hope it works. But that's some real collaboration there where you're talking with the coach and then for him to see the results of girls being burned out, but now they're getting stronger and enjoying the sport more. Just walk us through what that's like a little bit on your end. Yeah. So the first thing I try to do when I'm making a program is find out who I'm working with because you know, anybody can go on the internet and, and find a workout program now. And, you know, some are really good, but the others, you don't know what you're getting. But um, the difference with Ritter is I actually get to know you and see what your goals are and try to match that in the level that you're already at. So mm. 
you know, when I, when we come on, we do like a video assessment. There's some movement screenings there. So I actually could see, um, you know, what people are already doing and then kind of go off of what they have as an expectation. Um, so I kind of mix my goals for um, dryland and the science of dryland with their goals and kind of create something that's fun for them to coach as well and um, easy for them to understand. Yeah. And then what is that like working with a coach, uh, you know, whether or not you use this particular coach as an example, but I'm sure there's varying levels of dryland knowledge that coaches come to you with. And again, even as a collaboration, maybe the coach knows less about dryland. Maybe they think they know a lot about dryland. What's that like where you're actually going kind of back and forth with the coach, figuring out what they want, what's the best thing that's going to help them to ultimately lead to better results and swimmers enjoying the sport more? Yeah, well, I think it's really about asking the right questions, like mm. knowing um, what kind of questions to ask as a dryland specialist uh, to see kind of what the coach, where the coach needs assistance and where they're already really good and, and might not need me as much. Hmm. So what's, what's that look like maybe with this particular example? Do you remember when you were starting off and kind of figuring out, okay, you're doing X, Y, or Z, maybe we could keep that, maybe we need to change this? Oh, yeah. So the, the coach I was working with was a, he was coached just the sprinters. So he was really good at knowing like that they needed to be in that ATP PCR energy system. Mm. So he knew like how important like, um, like lifting heavy was and lifting um, like the, what kind of an intensity to work at and what kind of a volume to train both in the pool and out of the water. Mm. But he just wasn't sure like when it came to like injuries or um, mobility work or um, just thinking outside of his normal um, routine as far as like power drills to increase power or drills to increase strength so it was a combination of like he knew the basics of working out and and dryland but he didn't really know what he was missing hmm. no that's a, that's a great way to put it and that's great that that coach already had some knowledge you could tell he was invested in trying to figure out okay how can i make my swimmers better but then at a certain point you probably just run out of hours in the day as a coach of figuring out you know all the little intricacies of dryland so that's great you already had a base of knowledge, it sounds like, to come to you and then say, hey, here's the finishing pieces. Like, can you help me put it together? And then it sounds like you guys were able to be really successful with that. Yeah, it was really just um, a fun experience kind of filling the gaps for him. And, um, you know, also working with like a college girls team, I was also able to make it just a little bit more fun and bring mm. it to the next level as well. No, oh, that's really cool. Awesome. Sarah, thanks for coming on and chatting. And we'll have to have you back on again soon. Okay, yeah, thanks for having me. Have you joined the Surge Strength Academy yet? It's now free to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy and raise your dryland IQ. Visit surge-strength.com to learn more and enroll today. That's surge-strength.com to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy. The goal of Surge Strength is simple. Build better athletes to generate faster swimmers.